welcome in to another episode of Too Many Points here on the Tell Me More podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Mac Moore, and I have a special guest. I didn't think this would ever happen. We finally got some big timers jumping in. And just as the big timers jump in, uh, we randomly get my boy Bobby G to just sneak in the back door, jump in, and, and throw throw in just the garbage. Are you just in a corner right now? I'm I literally the, the I'm s- sitting in a corner in my empty room that has lighting sitting next to a charger with an ear without an earbud in one of my headphones because everything's falling apart over here. I'm not going to lie. The audio is worse than normal, but you getting stuck in the corner with your phone, it's way better video than you've done for the past month. FYI. So just do this every time. You were stuck in the corner, Bobby. I don't want to do this every time. This is already terrible because I can't. (laughs) I'm like, I have the phone on an angle and I have to hold it. And it's just like, it's already painful. It's perfect. Other than you not being professional and not turning it horizontal, uh, this is going great. So anyways, back to me talking about us making it to the big time as Bobby keeps showing we're small time. Scott Chasen of Fog.net at uh, you know, 20, uh, 24-7 Sports. Uh, really great coverage of KU basketball and football, so he'll come on. We'll definitely throw in a couple KU topics. A tiny bit football. I think we'll focus on basketball. I think that's that's what the people want. I could have the pulse wrong there. But Scott, thanks for joining us here today. Yeah, Mac, thanks for having me. And obviously, as I mentioned before, Bobby G, uh, my degenerate gambler sidekick who works at the dog food factory, uh, equal footing. I, I think I, I'll go to Bobby <laughs> first, actually, for my NFL bets, even though I'm crushing him this year. Uh, we're going to start with NFL because that's what we do. And then when we get around the 50-minute mark and I can see in Chasen's eyes that he's ready to run away, that's the moment we'll turn to other topics and try to knock out a couple before we finish on up. But starting out, uh, I think we'll just start with the, the, the Raven Steelers finally getting that game in on Wednesday. I actually didn't get a watch, and I'm glad I didn't because uh, not very fun, as it turns out. When you don't give football teams time to practice, uh, when they're forced to go in with a backup quarterback who's not ready to go, and uh, even Trace McSorley found a way to get in there and, and get some action. Uh, obviously, the product on the field wasn't going to be great, but uh, you know, putting the game on, we – you know, figured going in that was going to be the Steelers going to do what they do all year, which is find a way to win. And they, they found a way when that game, is there anything that's not COVID related to take away? Or is it really just looking at kind of big picture that the NFL is going to keep jamming through these games and, you know, you, you'll end up with a product like we saw with that Raven Steelers game on Wednesday afternoon. I was about to say night. It was not even a night game. Uh, Scott, how do you, how do you feel about the way the NFL has conducted the, the, the COVID issue and trying to just keep those games going. Well, look, I, I know they have their own, uh, I guess, barometer or whatever measures to determine whether or not a game should be played. It's kind of funny. This game was supposed to be played on like Thanksgiving and now it's a random Wednesday in December. Just like, uh, you know, I was driving back from Indianapolis uh, covering the champions classic there. So I actually listened uh, to a good part of this game. And I don't know if you can actually get this impression on the radio. It just seemed like neither team wanted to be there. You've got a team with, a backup and then a backup backup quarterback who just played sloppy, just played poorly. But, you know, this was, I'm not going to say a must win uh, game for the Ravens, but if the playoffs don't get expanded to eight teams, the Ravens kind of have an easy, easy schedule down the stretch. They're going to win some games, but uh, they could be on the outside looking in just because they are six and five now. And for the Steelers, yeah, the Steelers win close games. They find a way to win. And that's what happens in the NFL a lot of the time, but that's usually so much more the profile of a team that overachieves and goes like 12 and four 
uh, as compared to a team that might go, you know, 14 and 2, 15 and 1, potentially 16 and 0, though I doubt it. I, I don't know. I, I have not been impressed with the as impressed with the Steelers uh, as I have probably a few others in the NFL. They're they're still undefeated though, so I give them credit for that. Yeah, and you, you mentioned the you know players not seeming like they want to be there, and what impression you can get that over the radio. It's easy to to get that because they said there were multiple Ravens <laughs> that are saying we don't want to play this game, at least not this yeah. way. Where you just move the date out. Uh, yeah, I think the Steelers. It's kind of my tough thing is every week I, I keep saying I'm. All, I'm not impressed with, uh, you know, the the way they played, but they keep winning. And I think the number that I saw on Good Morning Football was, you know, if you're 11 and 0, you pretty much are going to make it to the Super Bowl. And of the like six teams in the last like 20 years that have done it, uh, all but two uh, won the Super Bowl. And I think one of the teams that lost was the Colts losing to the Saints, who were also started the year 11 and 0. And it's a weird number. I think the Chiefs were one year uh, back in the mid 2000s were nine and 0. Then they got the crap kicked out of them by the Bengals and didn't go on. So I don't know what those if if you're that Chiefs team and you happen to not have the Bengals for two weeks later, I don't think that changes your trajectory. I think that's still a team that was going to flame out when it got to the season. It did. I feel like dealers are still kind of in that area. And they're also in an extremely tough conference. When you look at, you know, the Chiefs being the reigning champs with how good they're playing. And uh, you know, I know that's where my mom I'm picking a team that I'm going to say right now I think will win. It's either Whichever NFC team I'm willing to gamble on and think that's the best one there, or it's the Chiefs. And then there are a bunch of other AFC teams that maybe they're not better than the Steelers, but they could knock them off. Bobby, when you look at this Steelers team and the way they've played, you're, you're, you're a gambling professional. Is this a team you could put money on and actually think that they will, one, win the AFC, keep that bye week and hold off the Chiefs, and two, make a run and make it to the Super Bowl? I think if we're betting on the Super Bowl, I'd never put money on the Steelers team. You know, I wouldn't put too much credit into this win or loss for either team because it was a throwaway game, basically. There was no reason this game should have been played. The only reason it was played is because the NFL basically didn't want to have a logistical nightmare. of If this game gets moved down to the week 18, okay, then what happens if it happens to another team and so on and so forth. So they basically just jammed it through. But this is a Steelers team that is 11 and 0 and I don't think anyone cares about them not a single person like <laughs> like this team's 11 and 0 in a pandemic crisis that's easy news and you don't hear anything about it you don't because they haven't been impressive they barely beat the Ravens twice they got bailed out by the refs against the Titans I believe they you know the Browns are overachieving at 8 and 3 they 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 aren't quality wins, in my opinion. The Steelers have done nothing. And if I have to put money on the Steelers or the Chiefs, I'm putting all my money on the Chiefs every day of the week. That's fair. On the flip side, with the Ravens, do you view them as a team that, as Jason said earlier, is uh, kind of in trouble now, where even with that expanded playoffs, they might be the, the last team out there in the AFC? Yeah, I think they're in trouble just because the AFC is so stacked. I mean, I think they're, are they six and five or six and six? Either way, they have some ground to make up. And even if they have the same record as the Patriots, somehow, they don't even have the tiebreaker over the Patriots anymore. So if the Patriots gained another game on them, now they are even behind them. And then they're behind the actual good teams in the playoffs. I mean, Lamar Jackson's a fantastic running back, but 
the offense is going to be stuck in the mud. We saw what the defense can do, but they're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, and I mean, we won't even know how much trouble until, you know, probably after this week because they should handily beat the Cowboys. That shouldn't be an issue, Uh, and that can get them, you know, right back in place. They can see uh, who wins out of the Titans and the Browns. There'll be some movement that'll get the Ravens back in place as long as they do what they're supposed to. And if they happen to lose the Cowboys, then I think they're just done. So this is that do-or-die moment, although I'm not really all that concerned about that matchup right there. Uh, when we're going down the actual uh, list for Week 12 games, that's the hardest thing to remember. It's like, that's not even the Ravens game this week. They have another one. Uh, we're looking at games, and, you know, I know Bobby, he's going to talk shit because every time he's he just wants to put it back to the fact that I always make fun of his picks for the hypothetical sports bets. But first game I want to talk about is Saints-Falcons because – as bad as the Falcons have been this year, Bobby, don't don't do that. Don't do that. Just be ready. This is a, this is an important game. Saints right now are the uh, best record in the NFC. They're staying on top, even though Drew Brees is hurt and they've had to put in Taysom Hill. I don't want to talk about Taysom Hill because I'm just waiting for him to have a bad game. Yes, I will openly admit I'm that guy. Uh, I just will ignore the topic when it makes me look wrong, and I'll wait until I'm right. Uh, until that moment, I, I don't want to focus on it, but the Saints are able to keep it together. It's been uh, kind of impressive, but also Atlanta Falcons are on the other side, and this is a you know a divisional game. They just beat the crap out of the, the Raiders, and they have been 4-2 and two since getting rid of Dan Quinn. Who would have guessed? Crazy stuff. But the Falcons right now are going to this game, so I just have to wonder. I'll start with Jason. Uh, do you expect Atlanta to repeat its performance of what it was able to do against Oakland? Will they be able to do this against a really good Saints team? Yeah, Atlanta is to me, one of the weirdest teams in football because it seems like, I mean, if you watch some of their games, obviously they blow a bunch of games. And like, I think back to, you know, the early season stuff that, oh, wow, that should have been a win. That should have been a win. That probably should have been a win too. So that tells you this team is maybe better than its record. But at the same time, don't they do this every year where like everyone picks the Falcons and except for that one year where they go to the Super Bowl, this is who they are. I'm more fascinated at how the Saints have three quarterbacks, all of whom are better than any quarterback on the Bears roster, any quarterback on the Broncos (laughs) roster, any quarterback on the Jets roster. Like, how did these teams let one team get three quarterbacks that are better than any of their options? I have absolutely no idea. Um, I I would expect the Saints to win. To me, the Saints look, uh, for the most part, I would say, like the best team in the NFC. I'm uh, you know, I, I really don't know what to make of uh, of Tampa Bay, and, and I'm still a little skeptical of Seattle, although if that defense continues to kind of play better, then maybe I'll, I'll believe in them a little bit more. Um, if you're New Orleans, if you are a, you know, an, a legit Super Bowl contender and maybe even a threat to take down the Chiefs, Steelers, or whoever, uh, this is a game you come out and win, and, and I think you have to look impressive doing it. All right, Bobby? Same same uh, deal. I'll just get the. I won't even come up with a pretend new question. Uh, how do you feel about this game? You think the Falcons have a shot? Um, no. Let's be honest. It's the Falcons. I I was expecting it, the Raiders game to be a blowout because the Falcons didn't even have Julio Jones and Matt Ryan without Julio has done absolutely nothing. But this is what the Falcons do, as he mentioned. They win a couple games at the end of the year after they start like absolute shit. Everyone's talking about having them tank, having them rebuild. They win a couple games at the end of the year. They're like, all right, this team's not bad. They're nine and seven. They're close. You know, maybe Matt Ryan can put it all together next year. And then next year they start, you know, two and five and they start it all over again. This is what the Falcons do every year. 
I mean, I'm, I would never bet on Taysom Hill unless he's playing a Broncos team led by Kendall Hilton. But I think the Saints should win this one pretty, you know, smoothly. All right. Well, we'll get to that at some point. I assume that'll be in Bobby's hypothetical sports bets. But who knows? This actually seems like an intriguing game. So Bobby probably pushed it down the list on importance. Uh, next up, uh, this one will be Titans-Browns, which uh, I think any other year we would put into that category of uh, why the hell are we talking about this game? But, uh, you know, I'll just we'll just go around the table right now. Raise your hands. Who thought this would be a battle of eight and three teams when uh, you looked at the, the schedule to start the season? That's good. No hands are up because I'd have to tell you to put your hands down, you liars. Uh, this is one that even where the Titans, where you were wondering if they'd be able to repeat the Cinderella year that they had last year uh, coming back. That's particularly difficult when you have uh, your performance is based on how well Derrick Henry plays. And he's a big back who is just getting so many carries last year to lead them there. You know, you could just guess that normally speaking, a running back with that, you know, performance would come back the next year and not do as well. Uh, but he's Derrick Henry, so instead he just kept stiff-arming people and ruining lives one by one, and it's been really, really fun to watch. Uh, on the other side with the Browns, uh, you know, if you were to guess that they had a year like this, you would imagine Baker Mayfield would be playing a lot better than he's played. And while he, he was awful to start the year, and we've seen some improvements, uh, you know, just look at last week's game where there are a couple plays where you're like, wow, Baker Mayfield finally made the right play. Also, he misses a guy so badly in the end zone, we have people start to wonder, uh, can the average person make that play that Baker Mayfield missed? The answer is no, but once we get past that, it's a throw that even a <laughs> subpar quarterback in the NFL should make. And still, the Browns figured out what they need to do to win. They have a middle-of-the-road defense that, at, in certain games, has uh, really done what it takes to, to, to shut down the other team. And they have two running backs, who should just get the ball every single play. Baker Mayfield should just be, basically, he's like a Wildcat quarterback that can accidentally throw sometimes. If you compare him to Wildcat quarterback, he's really, really good. He's actually amazing. He can't run very well, but he can throw down the field better than the average Wildcat quarterback. So if you look at it that way, Browns know what they're doing. They have everything in place. They shouldn't be 8-3. and three. They've had a lucky schedule, but better, better than I expected, and they have mm -hmm. a shot to go into Tennessee and beat them, or at least that's what I think. Do you guys think the Browns have any shot? Because I'm higher on them. I'm going to keep betting them and win some money off them. I don't know if they're going to do shit and make the playoffs, but it's been fun so far. Scott, do you think the Browns can actually come in and beat this Titans team that's playing pretty lights out right now? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I am a big believer in the Titans, not necessarily as one of the best teams in the AFC. I think they have a very clear ceiling just based off the way they play. But I, I do believe that, you know, Ryan Tannehill, the Titans, it, it kind of became this like perfect marriage where they don't ask him to do too much. They rely on their run game. And yet at times, you know, he has to lead them down the field for a fourth a quarter comeback or a late touchdown drive like he's done a couple times this year where they just ask him to be efficient and not lose the game. And the, um, I guess, comparison to Cleveland is that Cleveland might have just as good of a running game, not with one guy, but with multiple guys. Cleveland might have better weapons on the outside. I guess it's questionable because Tennessee probably has, you know, one of the best three, five receivers in the NFL, depending uh, Cleveland probably has a better defense than Tennessee, but you know, what's the difference, I guess, between these two teams, I'd say it's probably how you feel about Baker Mayfield and probably how you feel about the new, whatever Ryan Tannehill has become over his last, you know, year and a half. Uh, like last year, I'm, I'm not betting on uh, a deep 
Titans uh, playoff run. I think last year was surprising, although I did pick them to beat the Ravens, uh, but that was more about a distrust of the Ravens. I, I just think these are two really interesting teams. And this is kind of the example, I think them and the Colts, of why teams like the Ravens that in past years would just have totally been fine, like, oh, it takes you a while to figure out, but you're going to sneak into the playoffs. This is why it becomes dangerous for them. Uh, I see a very real scenario here where the Steelers get the one seed and the playoffs get expanded to eight because of a postponed or canceled game that that affects the standings. And by the way, you have to play the Ravens in the first round. And now one of these teams is knocking each other out. Or conversely, maybe the Ravens get the seven, they end up playing the Chiefs. And and that suddenly the difference between a one seed and a two seed uh, becomes maybe bigger than it's ever been. That's how I view the AFC. I, I view the AFC as probably having like, Three teams in Kansas City, Baltimore, maybe, maybe Pittsburgh, although I still don't trust it, where their ceiling is way higher if they actually reach it. And then you just have a bunch of solid teams that you really can't play a bad game against. And I think both of these teams fall into that category. Yeah. And you you mentioned earlier the, the comparison, how much you trust Baker Mayfield versus how much you trust Ryan Tannehill. I've made the argument that, I have been leaning to the Browns. Now, the Titans have proven to be the better team, even though their records are identical right now. But I also think the Browns, they at least know the limitations of Baker Mayfield, and they plan accordingly. As opposed to the Titans, they have made game plans where they need Ryan Tannehill to make the throws down the field. They need him to get it to A.J. Brown. They need him to get to Corey Davis. And while Derrick Henry comes in and is still destroying people, they're not trying to say, hey, we just need to give it to him, and he'll win the game for us. I think building that way, while it has given them some pretty impressive wins, gave them an impressive win last week, it will put you in a situation where Ryan Tannehill comes up snake eyes and it will lose you the game, where at least I know the Browns will go out swinging with their <laughs> best option. And I, I'm i willing to go with that as the better like pick, although it hasn't bore out in the stats at this point. But I still think that right now I'd lean that way. Bobby, when you're making that pick, which one would you rather have? A team that knows don't let Baker Mayfield have the ball in those moments because he will mess up or the Titans who believe they have an offensive coordinator who will keep putting Ryan Tannehill into the right spot. But you just know that there will be at least one play where that goes bad for them down the stretch. I'd pick the Titans if I could be like a, a coach in Madden football where I could be like, I'm picking the play every time you're doing <laughs> HB dive and then you're doing play action off of it. Nothing else. You can throw it to AJ Brown. You can throw it to John Smith a little bit. But then every once in a while, like, the game glitches out, and they're like, all right, Ryan Tannehill is going to throw the ball now, like, 40 times this game. No, that's not going to work. Give me Baker Mayfield and him waking up feeling very dangerous as he hands it off to (laughs) Chubb and Hunt for 30 times a game. I'm going to bet on the Browns, sadly, because I can't trust the Titans not to mess it up because all they have to do is hand it off to Derrick Henry 30 times a game, and they win. And somehow, someway, they just can't do that every week. I will admit to anybody watching and thinking to use our picks as, uh, you know, actual advice for betting. This is the one time. Don't listen to me. This is not based on any actual football. I really badly want Baker Mayfield to be a successful quarterback, which just means middle of the road. Good enough to not get bitched. Because when you get clips like him uh, reacting to the defensive line sliding over and he says, that's fucking cute, guys. Like, we need more of that in the NFL. I want that every single week. And also, he's the the best ad guy ever. I already mentioned it before. He surpassed Peyton Manning in his first year. It's going to take him a lot of time to even get to the point where he's surpassing uh, the top, I don't know, the 10th best quarterback in the NFL. But for right now, we need him to to survive. And I'm glad the Browns have all the other pieces 
to be good enough to not bench Baker Mayfield just yet because it's good for it's good for the NFL. It's good for me. It's it's good for us during a pandemic. We need that joy in our lives. Uh, next up is Rams Cardinals. This is one that uh, Rams have you know before this last week we're probably on the up and up like they were having games where their defense was coming through they were getting some impressive victories and the opinion was starting to change okay maybe they figured out enough of the problems that they can get over the fact that jared goff just isn't good enough then we get to last week and jared goff once again shows in you know uh full view of everyone he's not good enough and enough that Sean McVay had to come out in the media and say some things that were probably on the same level as Matt Nagy uh, talking trash on his defense, except in this case, Sean McVay was right. So everybody allowed him to basically say Jared Goff is trash. That's as close as a coach could get to say his starter is trash without just saying the words and ruining that relationship. Uh, now you're going into a game with the Cardinals, who also were doing good earlier in the season, but have had a rough couple of weeks. The running game of Kyler Murray, where he was looking like an MVP candidate, he is now, uh, I think he's averaging maybe like 20 or 30 yards over the last two weeks. So teams have kind of keyed in on that, figured it out. And so you have to wonder, uh, is it was it just more tape is, is going to help them? Or will the Cardinals have another wrinkle to get Kyler Murray back to playing the way he was early in the season? And so that's two teams. They both need this win. They're both kind of in a position where the their, their chance to make the playoffs isn't over if they lose. But both of these teams really need this game. When you're looking at this Rams-Cardinals matchup, who do you think has the advantage and which team do you think, if they can make it to the playoffs, are still a possible contender? Still, their weaknesses aren't bad enough to kind of rule them out of maybe having a run down the stretch. Scott, we'll start with you. Yeah, you know, I, I don't feel great about either of these teams. You look at the Cardinals schedule this year and and what they've played a bunch of close games. They've lost to some teams they probably shouldn't have and then a couple of teams that they probably should have lost to. And yeah, they have a couple impressive wins. They beat the Steelers, or uh, excuse me, the Seahawks in overtime, a game that was really fun to watch. I believe it was a primetime game. Uh, and then, you know, they, they beat, you know, San Francisco. They beat Washington. You know, they, they beat the Jets. So, yeah, I, I don't know that I necessarily believe in either of these teams. Uh, anecdotally, I can tell you I'm a Phoenix Suns fan, so I follow a bunch of people who are out in Arizona on Twitter, uh, and they melt down over this team just about every week. And I think if anyone has seen the weaknesses of the Cardinals squad and at times not believing in the offense, at times really not believing in that defense, although uh, over uh, – I would say most of the season's actually performed pretty well. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I'm not even sure Phoenix uh, people out in Phoenix, people out in Arizona are convinced that that team can be a contender. But you know, here's what I kind of like about the NFC and why it's fun. It's just a bunch of flawed teams, and to varying levels, of course. I'm not going to say the Saints are as flawed as you know the Bucks or as flawed as the Cardinals or you know whatever team comes out of the NFC East, but. Every team, it, it feels like just about has that kind of like one big flaw that could allow another team to come up and beat them. And, you know, for the Rams, if Jared Goff plays the best Jared Goff game he can, uh, that Rams team is terrifying. Aaron Donald is an absolute game record. That's not breaking news to anyone. And you maybe have, uh, you know, maybe not the, the smartest coach in football or whatever. And yeah, sometimes he screws up in game situations, but you've got a pretty good coach quarterback tandem if the quarterback holds up the end of the bargain with Sean McVay, obviously on the other side. So yeah, I don't know. These are, these would be like the two teams that if I had to bet on them, uh, if I had to pick one of them, like every week, I would just hate myself knowing that eventually you're going to get an absolute dud and they're going to lose by 30 points. And you're going to be, you know, sitting there like, why did I bet on the Cardinals to beat the Seahawks again or something like that? All right, Bobby, you were one that uh, you surprised me a little bit. You completely trashed Lamar Jackson. 
Jackson, but you gave huge props to Kyler Murray earlier in the year. After the last couple of weeks, has the, the stock for Murray dropped in your eyes? Uh, the stock dropped in my eyes when I bet on the Cardinals minus one, and they somehow didn't beat a New England Patriots team that had like 20 passing yards. So the stock is gone. The meme's gone. Like, give me Lamar Jackson and his running ability and his like one nice pass a week. I'm like, I'm done with the meme. Come back to me next week. But in terms oh, of this game, great. if I have to bet on anyone, I'm going to bet on the Rams because at least we know what the Rams can do on defense. We have no idea which Rams offense is going to show up. We have no idea which Cardinals offense is going to show up. But we know odds are that Aaron Donald's going to be in the backfield the whole game. We have seen Jalen Ramsey lock everyone up. Odds are if he follows Hopkins, Hopkins is going to be a non-factor. And, I mean, if the Patriots run defense can shut you down, I have a whole bunch of faith that the Rams defense will absolutely lock it down too. And they couldn't figure out the Patriots defense for whatever reason. They couldn't come in the clutch and late in the game. They made silly mistakes. So, I mean, it's probably going to be – Somehow the Cardinals are going to win by 50 because Jared Goff throws like six picks and turns into a pumpkin again. But I'm still going to, you know, bet on the Rams a little bit and hope. All right. Well, the slate of NFL games is actually pretty trash this week. So uh, we'll have one more game we'll talk about and we'll transition uh, from talking about the Rams looking bad this last week by getting taken down by the 49ers. There's a good chance that the only reason that happened is just because Kyle Shanahan has Sean McVay's number. And that, that happens a lot. Anybody Kyle Shanahan matches up with, uh, he, he tends to come out as uh, the, the better coach, even when he doesn't quite have the talent there. But right now the 49ers, uh, you know, kind of ruin the Rams season or at least, uh, you know, put them off track for a bit. Now they will host the Buffalo Bills, who are a team that, uh, it's played pretty good, have a good record, but they have had a couple, uh, you know, close games at the end where they lost a couple where they won. And now, uh, right now, if they can win, they're in the driver's seat to not only win the division, uh, but to, you know, be one of the top three teams in the AFC. So, uh, I, I know it's all over the map in terms of whether people think the Buffalo bills are for real. So I won't even ask that question, even though it's a fun bit that we always do on this show. Uh, I'm so- saying Josh Allen's in the top five MVP race right now. I'll put him at four, I think. Let me count this again. Maybe three or four. The, the point is, I still have faith in the Buffalo Bills. I want to know if you guys do. Going into this game with the 49ers, uh, really very little chance of making the, the playoffs, but they can keep playing spoiler to a lot of playoff teams. Do you think that the 49ers uh, can end up beating this Buffalo Bills team uh, as they go uh, into, I was going to say uh, San Francisco, but they're playing in Glendale, Arizona. So I don't even know who has, uh, the, it's still going to be a 49ers home field advantage, but uh, they're going to be very confused down there as well. Scott, <laughs> starting with you, uh, how do you feel about this matchup? Well, for starters, I would actually have Josh Allen tied for second uh, in the MVP race. I'd have Patrick Mahomes at number one, uh, and then I'd have the rest of the NFL, every other player tied for second, just back uh, quite a bit. <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of where I have the end. I thought MVP. you were putting faith in Josh Allen, but not so much. Just well, kind just of, tied, uh, yeah attacking the rest of the NFL cool he's just tied with everyone else no it's kind of crazy when there's just one player so much better than you know it's early maybe better than anyone at the history of this position he's three or four years into his career but uh here here's why I believe in the bills uh maybe more than I should and why it's definitely going to burn me like I the bills have not lost a game that to me 
was like major alarm bells. I think probably the closest thing to that maybe was getting kind of blown out by Tennessee. Uh, and, and yet at the same time, what, it was that weird Tuesday game where Tennessee didn't practice for like like a month and a half or something. It was like not a month and a half. I'm exaggerating, but it was, it was just that weird game. And like I kind of figured Tennessee would get blown out. Tennessee ended up looking pretty good. I, I, it was just hard for me to draw a conclusion from that game. Yeah, they lost to the Chiefs. They lost to the Cardinals. And by the way, like people jumped off the bandwagon when they lost to the Chiefs. But let's not forget, they actually had a pretty good game plan in that game. They ran the ball. They made the Chiefs run the ball. They limited the number of possessions. And, and then right there down the stretch, the game was for the taking. Josh Allen just didn't play very well, and the team didn't play very well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm intrigued. They they should have won some games, some very close games against the Jets twice, the Dolphins, the Patriots by a whole lot more. But I, I, I look, Josh Allen's become a very good quarterback. I think they've got a good system there. And I, San Francisco, like, yeah, I mean, they're just missing so much talent. They've really got um, nothing to play for, I guess, except to make everyone else miserable. And maybe misery loves company enough to power them through the rest of the year. But uh, I, the game being at, I, I guess, at Arizona or, you know, it's like you said, at San Francisco would give me like a, a touch of pause just because it's probably hard to travel, you know, three time zones or whatever west. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I think I would actually take the Bills in this one. And by the way, the Bills schedule to close out the year. They have San Francisco. That's let's give them a win. They have Denver. Let's give them a win. New England, Miami. Let's give them one more win uh, between that. That puts them at 11 and four with one more game against the Steelers. I mean, that that feels about, you know, kind of pretty close to their ceiling of where they could have been. You know, they knock off the Steelers, they'd be 12 and four. And that's giving them, you know, a loss to one of those teams. So I don't think 12 and four is out of the, the realm of possibility for them. I think 11 and five, 10 and six, probably more likely. Yeah, that's fair. And, you know, like we've mentioned before, a lot of people mentioned uh, that, the AFC might still have a little bit of intrigue with that one seed, just because the way you'd end up getting matched up against some teams that might slide in and that final playoff spot might, uh, an advantage might become a disadvantage pretty fast, but otherwise you just have that one buy for the number one team. So in terms of fighting to figure out, okay, who's the second team, who's the third team, you might have to figure out who to jockey in for position late, but you're also not needing to keep yourself on that trajectory the same way you would, because you know, uh, Bills pretty much have no chance of taking that one seat. So really, they're just yeah. figuring out where do we fall in the two, three, four spots. Yeah, and and if I could just jump in and say, this is the year we finally need to let teams pick the playoff bracket and their opponent. First of all, it would be electric if you let the higher seed actually choose which team they want to play. And second of all, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but if the Baltimore Ravens sneak in at like the eighth seed and the Oakland Raiders are the seventh seed or, you know, may, maybe the Bills, maybe the Titans, I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a team that would say, even though I'm, I'm not the vocally so, not the biggest believer in Lamar Jackson, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a team that would say, give me the Ravens, I don't want to play the Raiders, or I don't want to play the Dolphins. I, I think, you know, it, it can be such a disadvantage. I would love for, um, you know, they do reseeding after each round, and, and just for the, the top seed to get to pick, and then the next team to get to pick, and it'd also be a good way to piss a bunch of people off and, and have some guys playing angry in that game. I think it'd be fun. I think everybody's in agreement that that's what should happen uh, between that and get rid of, I'm not going to say get rid of a automatic playoff spot for all division winners, just the NFC East. Once you put those rules in, we have fixed the NFL playoffs. We've made everything better, but uh, Bobby going down to you right now. I don't know what the stats are or the, the line is on a real gambling site. ESPN has it. 
Buffalo minus one and a half. So when you got 49ers coming in, they have been just decimated on that roster. They have Nick Mullins come in and play a quarterback, even with a win over the Rams, as they're bringing in a Buffalo team that has played as well as it has. Don't you just have to spam that and just put a lot of money on Buffalo this week? I mean, I'm going to put my house on it. I'm going to put my mansion. I'm going to put my dog on it. I'm going to put my mom's house on it. It's only my, it's basically a pick them. That doesn't make any sense to me because I thought there was, was going to be something closer to the Jets game. Obviously, I'm not saying the Jets or the Niners or the Niners or the Jets, but I feel like that's how it's going to play out where this is a game Buffalo should very easily win. But for whatever reason, they don't cover it. But at minus one and a half, you're basically just picking them to win. Obviously, the 0.5 in there matters a little bit. But, yeah, I don't, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't pick Buffalo to win in this game. You have San Francisco has, you know, an all-star team on the IR. They got most through back. But I don't think that's going to make that much of a difference. At the Niners minus one and a half, I'm probably putting a couple paychecks on that one. All right. Or excuse uh, me, I- Buffalo minus one and a half. Yeah, like it's it's crazy to me, but watch this end up being a 25-24 final score, and we're just like, well, whatever. <laughs> Buffalo finds a way to prove us wrong anyways. But um, it w- I think that's all we have for the NFL stuff. We will wrap this part up with Bobby's hypothetical sports bets, and then we'll move on to a few other topics uh, in the NCAA football, in a little bit of college hoops, and then uh, there's some NBA action. So around that time, Bobby will check out but uh, me and Scott will keep talking for a little while. So, Bobby, uh, this is your segment. This is your moment. Uh, take it away for Bobby's hypothetical sports bets. Man, he rubs the salt in the wounds like you don't know. I'm sitting holding my phone in a corner. <laughs> uh, I'm going to pass this off to him. Yeah, we, you know, it, it's gonna work. you're going to take it. And you, the rule is for this week to, you know, keep the energy high. I don't know if I can. I, I, I shouldn't have set the bar so high in previous weeks. This is... Mac Moore's super fast action bets here on the Too Many Points podcast on the Tell Me More podcast network. We are going to move fast. No slowing us down. We've already got enough talk about the NFL for uh, what we think will happen. So this is going to be fast picks. I'll give you one sentence. If you talk too long, I don't have a buzzer, uh, but I will find a way to indicate to our audience that you need to shut the hell up as we move on to the next game. Uh, Not a lot of lines on here. COVID has ruined uh, the number of games we can pick, but I'm going to just run down the, the... ESPN scorecard here and whichever ones have lines we will pick games uh Saints Falcons we got Saints minus three who the hell did this this is I I don't think I can trust the ESPN anymore it doesn't matter we're gonna go with it so Scott who do you got with minus three line for the Saints yeah I'm going with the Saints I will feel pretty good about it I'm going Saints easy money all right. I just love to be contradictory. And so far it has gotten me a huge advantage in the games uh, that I've picked different than everybody else. We've all pretty much sucked on this podcast. We've all lost money this year, but if we only go off the ones I've picked a different team, uh, I'm kicking the shit out of you guys. So I'm going to go the Falcons. I think the Falcons can keep it going. I think what they've been doing under Raheem Morris is different than earlier in the season. And even if this is a fluke to just get them uh, to think that they can be good next year and trick all of us and they'll start next season bad. Doesn't matter. They're going to keep winning games down the stretch here. Saints can't keep winning games with Taysom Hill back there. I'm picking this one as an awful game for Taysom Hill. Lions-Bears, we got Bears minus three. I want no business of picking this game. Uh, Wow. Yeah. Over, under, 44 and a half. Yikes. 
I'll, uh, give me give me the Lions. Um, I cannot bet on the Bears ever. The Bears are terrible. Their offense is awful. Their play calling is horrible. Somehow they got rid of a bad play caller and went to a worse play caller, and their quarterback play has just been dismal. The most Rude, money I have to say all those things, but okay. The most money I've ever won in a bet was a couple of years back, and it was Trubisky against the Lions. So I'm going to pick <laughs> Trubisky and the Lions on this one, and it's going to be the least amount of money I've ever bet. I love going the opposite pick, but I can't do it with the Lions. I'm going to keep the Bears as well. We got Browns, Titans. Titans are minus five and a half. Wow, that's a bigger line than I thought it would be. Um, I would actually probably take the Browns to cover that, although I think the Titans will win. I just think it'll be a close game. Yeah, I think that's a lot of points for this game, so I'm going to take the Browns too. All right, I'm going to hedge my bets. I've been talking to the Browns all year. I'll take the Titans that way. I get to say I'm right either way. <laughs> Bengals, Dolphins, we got Dolphins. What the hell? Dolphins minus 11 and a half. Who is doing all this? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, give me give me the Bengals. No, actually, give me the Dolphins. I, I My new thing, sometimes I don't always do this, is if I feel one team's a lot better than the other, I don't care about the line. I just pick them to cover. And So get, give me the Dolphins in this case. Give me the Dolphins, and I expect Fitzpatrick to start, get benched at halftime after three picks, and then two or throws for five touchdowns to start it all over again. I'm trying to look through and see how many times the Dolphins beat even bad teams by a lot. Kick the crap out of the Jets, everything else, or either losses, or eh, got an 11.1 over the Rams. I'll take the Dolphins. That, that one game convinced me. No, <laughs> using no real football thought. Just had to make sure it happened at least once. Uh Jaguars, Vikings. We got Vikings minus ten. What? I someone called the Jaguars the best like one in ten team they'd ever seen two weeks ago. I'm gonna hang on to that and pick them to cover. Although uh, that is probably more of an indictment of my feelings about Kirk Cousins than anything else. Is this a primetime game? If not, I'm picking Kirk Cousins. <laughs> this is a noon noon game, so uh, Kirk Cousins probably do amazing in this. Uh, I don't. I got to follow a rule. I, I think if this was any other team minus 10 against the Jaguars, I would end up taking the other team, just assume they could win by 10. I can't take Kirk Cousins and need him to cover points. I can't do it. I don't care when the game is. I don't care what's happening. I'll take the Jaguars. Like, I, I don't care if I lose money on it. Kirk Cousins, just stop. Stop being a quarterback in the NFL. It hurts all of us. Uh, Raiders, Jets, we got the Raiders are minus eight and a half. Uh, going into to MetLife, uh, that one's that one's a rude line right there. I don't know why the Raiders aren't a bigger favorite. I guess people are assuming they will play just as bad as they did against the Falcons last week. Because even if they play that bad and you put uh, Nathan Peterman in the game, I still think they beat the Jets by five. So that's a very strange line. Scott, we'll start with you. I would take the Raiders to cover. However, I would sprinkle a little on Jets' money line just to see, just in case. That's a good. I like that. Bobby? I'm going to just bet the Raiders here on this one. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna go Raiders as well. I think the last game, and I had said this, uh, you know, in the last pod, I'd actually picked the Falcons to win that one uh, because I thought it would be a hangover game because they were so focused on the Chiefs matchup coming out of that. They just weren't going to be prepared. Sure enough, I didn't think the Falcons would beat the crap out of them, particularly without Julio Jones and Todd Gurley, but things happen. I still don't think the – I think the Raiders are more like what we saw before that game more so than anything we saw in that game from them. Uh, and this is the Jets. So 
even bad teams can kick the crap out of them. I'm going to go with the Raiders. Uh, we got Colts, Texans, and this one is Colts minus three and a half, uh, heading down to NRG Stadium in Houston. Well, if the Colts are legit, they will cover. I think they will, but uh, they, they have to. If, if they're a legitimate team, if they're a legit playoff contender, something to win a couple games, they, they will win this game. Bobby, you know the bit now. It, it is transferred from Phil Rivers' old team to his new team. Bobby, are the Colts for real? You know, you're going to have to ask me again next week because we just will never know. <laughs> but I'm going to take the Texans and the points, and I'm going to take the Jacoby Brissett touchdown prop. That's solid. That's good betting advice. We'll check in next week. It's the only thing I'll follow. I won't look at the rest of these lines and figure out who wins or loses. Let's figure out if that prop bet makes it through. We got Rams, Cardinals. The Rams are minus two and a half going into Glendale. How many games are in Glendale this weekend? Jesus. Hmm. Um, picking this one, I, I honestly have no idea. Give me the Rams, but yeah, I have no idea on this one. Bobby, who you got? I'm going to take the Rams because I'm so tilted about the Patriots game still. So the Cardinals are dead to me for the week. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I feel like I've made enough money off the Rams. I need to get off that ship uh, just as it's sinking. Uh, I'm going to take the Cardinals. I feel like uh, I have more trust that Kyler Murray can get back to running the way he was in previous weeks. I do know the Rams have all the right weapons on defense to, uh, you know, keep that uh, sluggish streak for Murray going, but way more faith than Jared Goff stopped being a bad quarterback, which he's just shown to be his entire NFL career. So I'm going to go with Cardinals on this one. We got Giants, Seahawks, and the Seahawks at home minus 10. Oh, Wow. Seahawks minus 10. Yeah, give me give me the Seahawks on the even number there. I like it. Give me the Seahawks. I have no faith in Colt McCoy. As soon as I start thinking that the Seahawks are just going to come out and finally cover lines and, you know, do what they're supposed to do, I watch Carson Wentz chuck up a Hail Mary, Richard Rodgers pull it in, then they get the two-point conversion. Until the Seahawks can stop letting things like that happen and stop hurting, my feelings and my bank account. I can't pick the Seahawks even when it's this Giants team. I'm going to take the Giants and the points on this one. We got Eagles Packers. Packers are at home minus eight and a half. Yeah, I really like the Packers in this one. I actually feel pretty good about that line just from the perspective of uh, I feel like they're really going to kind of uh, start picking up steam, start looking like a contender. I, I actually think they might emerge from the NFC uh, or it might, you know, come to a, a horrible train wreck at the end of the playoffs when they absolutely phone it in against the team and get blown out by 40. So I guess I've co covered the two extremes. Anything in the middle would be surprising to me, but I like the Packers. All right, Bobby, I want you to consult with your dog first and then see what your dog thinks to pick on this and then let us know who do you got in this game? Uh, she's currently assaulting me with toys. So, uh, She's probably going to want to take the Packers and then Devontae Adams over one touchdown prop. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I, I think I, I can't trust the Eagles to cover the spread two weeks in a row. So uh, if, if they were playing like I thought they would down the stretch, I thought the Eagles, it, it, it's the same story every year. They suck at the beginning and then slowly but surely just piece together some decent performances to win just enough games to beat the Cowboys. Now they might still just find a way to win that sorry division that is the NFC East, but they're not even putting together like good halves of offense to do this. They are luckily getting a Hail Mary to, to cover the spread and then still lose the Seahawks. 
at this point, I have no trust in them to cover the spread. I'm going to take the Packers in this one. Patriots, Chargers, and this one's even. And I just have to ask right now, I'll go Bobby first on this one since he's a Patriots fan. Uh, is this the game where Bill Belichick gets Anthony Lynn fired? Uh, no, give me the Chargers on this one. I'm I'm never yeah. buying Cam Newton as a as a legit quarterback when you're throwing to Jacoby Myers and absolutely no one else. We got the reverse jinx. Everybody put all of your money on the Patriots. It's going to be an epic blowout. Scott, who do you got in this game? Where, where's this one? This one is in Inglewood. Okay. You know, does it matter? It's not a home game. Like yeah. it wasn't a home. I guess it's the same amount of fans, so it's just as much of a home game as it was before the pandemic. But still, yeah. Here's here's the thing. Uh, no, Bill Belichick is not going to get Anthony Lynn fired. Uh, Anthony Lynn is going to get Anthony Lynn fired. Give me the Patriots. That's fair. That that's fair. I still think same outcome though. Uh, put your money on Anthony Lynn getting canned uh, after this game because uh, yeah, I feel like Bill Belichick's going to come in if he, if. Anthony Lynn will make himself look silly in the final minutes of games. Just imagine what Bill Belichick is going to be able to do to him. So, yeah, I'd definitely go with that. Uh, we'll go uh, Chiefs-Broncos. Chiefs are minus 14 at home. Well, let's see. Um, I would take the Chiefs minus 14. I would take the Chiefs probably with a bigger line. Uh, maybe the Broncos can keep it close, but um, I tweeted this last week. It actually wasn't their worst week of quarterback play. So it doesn't really matter who they've got. If Drew Locke is starting, I would pick the Chiefs by 14. If a wide receiver is starting, I would pick the Chiefs by 14. If they were playing with 10 men on the field uh, and just not having a quarterback, which might be a preferable option for them at this point, then I would also still pick the Chiefs by 14. Uh, I'm going to uh, take the Broncos just because that's way too many points for me. They're probably going to get blown out by 28, but I talk about it all the time. I can't, you know, lay 14 points yeah i think normally i would take that and i even mentioned uh in the last pod that uh, i love whenever the chiefs have a lot of points because it's very easy to pick the other team and i could possibly win some money and then even if they win by just a few points i get the chiefs victory for my fandom and i get to win that bet but i think right now with the the way the chiefs are playing i mean they got a 14 win 14 point win over the raiders so going into this game against the Broncos, uh, I can imagine the Chiefs uh, can can keep it rolling and the Broncos won't have anything to, I mean, they get the pass rush, but apparently Patrick Mahomes is immune to that as well. It doesn't really matter what you have. He's going to put up points. And then the only way to really slow them down is to have your offense stay on the field and the Broncos can't do that at all. I, I, I'm going to go with the Chiefs on this one. Uh, then we got Washington and uh, Steelers as off there, no line. We got Cowboys Ravens that's going to be on Tuesday. They just keep moving those games. That doesn't have a line. So last pick of the week this is what we were talking about earlier. I think we've all made it pretty clear. Uh, Buffalo 49ers, Buffalo minus one and a half. I think we're all on Buffalo, correct? Like we don't need to go around correct. the table again. Yeah. All right. Well, that's one actually where if you, you want to just like move the line like seven points and, and then what get Buffalo uh, plus five and a half, I'd feel very good about that. Yeah, without a doubt, that one is kind of crazy. I don't know why uh, anybody would think that. And, you know, we could be wrong. Maybe the the odds makers in Vegas or uh, in Connecticut for ESPN. I don't know who's putting it together for ESPN because these guys are way the fuck off. But uh, maybe the 49ers, you just trust Kyle Shanahan to just keep it a close game. Definitely can't be one and a half. The the line needs a few more points there. Uh, That's all we have for Matt's super fast action sports bets. 
Uh, I keep changing the name every single time. I can't remember the actual verbiage every time I do this stupid segment. So that's all we have for NFL action. I do want to transition. Uh, you know, we never make it to the other stuff uh, on this podcast. It's always NFL, and then occasionally one topic makes it in. We have a little bit of time here. We might actually be able to pull this off. The first one I want to talk about, I wanted to hit NCAA football. Uh, normally, having somebody like Scott Chasen come on, where he can give us the breakdown, uh, all the important details of the KU football program. Uh, I don't think any of us need that. If you do need it, go to uh, fog.net, go to 24-7 Sports, look up Jason's article. He has a lot of great stuff if you just really want to feel pain and keep up with the, the intricate details of why KU football has been awful for a decade. But for now, we're not going to do it on the, the podcast too much. Although if I get both Jason and, uh, and Shane Jackson onto the same pod, we will talk about the KU offensive line for about 30 minutes. That will happen. <laughs> it will be a standalone episode of the pod. Uh, right now, though, the only thing I care about in college football, I told uh, Chase before we started, I, I was going to talk about Ohio State, possibility of them uh, not being able to qualify for postseason games, uh, you know, Big Ten title game and college football playoff. Don't care about that anymore. Uh, big news this morning of BYU stepping in to take the place of Liberty facing uh, Coastal Carolina. And I believe it's going on the road. I think Coastal Carolina is hosting that. So you got undefeated teams that are willing to face each other. and you never see that teams barely want to face another good team out of conference to start a year. And obviously this is a pandemic year. It throws everything up into the air, but that's a bold move. I, I, I love the confidence from both these teams. I love the fact that we're going to get a great football game down the stretch here that otherwise wouldn't have happened. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to ignore any sort of like COVID, like maybe sports shouldn't be happening at all right now, but knowing that they're happening, I'm glad that a game like this can take the place of a game that ends up getting canceled because Liberty has uh, multiple uh, COVID uh, positives on their team. So looking at that right there, I haven't actually jumped through to the, the tape to figure out the matchups and decide who I think is going to win. But all my money is on Coastal Carolina this year. It doesn't really matter. Uh, I, I think that was before they beat KU. Uh, it stayed after once they made it in the top 25. Uh, right now, when you're looking at this game, how excited are you guys? We'll just start with the – Forget the actual bets, but Jason, how excited are you to see a, this game come together to have two undefeated teams choose to play each other this late into the season? Yeah, it, it's an exciting idea. I think what it actually does is it gives both teams, uh, I guess, more ammo to yell and scream and pull a UCF when neither of them make the college football playoff and say, <laughs> but look, we, we, you know, we scheduled Coastal Carolina. What more could we have possibly done if you're uh, BYU? And it's like, well, like played Washington or like played a power five team. But, you know, I guess that's besides the point. I, I, I am I am interested for this in this game. I like this game. I like the idea. It's been fun to follow along with Coastal Carolina since uh, they dismantled Kansas in the opener. I think that the final score was much closer than the game just because uh, it was like 28 to three or something in the first half. It was an absolute uh, blowout. But, you know, at the same time, this to me, um, I don't want to put a damper on this. I don't want to, you know, be like a, a buzzkill here. Feels a little too little too late uh, to me. I, I think there are some interesting things uh, maybe both teams could have done to actually, maybe, maybe not Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina, you know, they'll, they'll end up with some pretty good ranked wins if they actually run the table here. But uh, yeah, I, I have a hard time seeing this actually mattering in the grand scheme of things, but it will help one of these teams sell some t-shirts when they uh, run the table in the regular season and can claim that national championship. I have two UCF undefeated national champion t-shirts. So I am, I am a full believer in the merch. Well, you've saved yourself. Cause I was about to say 
Scott, thank you for your first and only appearance on the Tell Me More podcast <laughs> after you tried to turn UCF claiming a national championship into a bad thing. Uh, so I'll just say that now that I know that you bought the shirt, I will give you two. one more chance to redeem yourself. Well, two shirts. I'll give you a chance to redeem yourself. But uh, Bobby, how do you feel about this matchup? Uh, does this just bring you joy knowing there's one more game of undefeated teams for you to put money on and have no idea who anybody is in either of the games or on either of the teams? I mean, that's all of college football. I never know who's on the team. I just bet on them. But, I mean, I'm as excited as ESPN is for this game. I mean, you had two undefeated teams. Uh, you got BYU, Coastal Carolina. Oh, it's on ESPNU, and they didn't flex it into actual ESPN. Yeah, I don't. I really don't care about this game, to be honest. Like, it's not going to matter in the long run. It's going to matter when they're like, oh, we, you know, why can't we make the playoffs? I'm like, well, because you're not Bama or – Clemson, like we all know they would absolutely get smoked by one of the uh, top four teams. They're going to whine and moan about it. And speaking of undefeated shirts, I do have a Patriots 19-0 and t-shirt, so I'm claiming that as an undefeated season. <laughs> if we're making up fake championships, I'm claiming the Patriots didn't lose to the Giants. Well, I know that every thing that Bobby just said about these teams and what would happen if they faced the top schools is exactly what everybody said about Boise State before they beat Oklahoma. So you just have to believe in the Cinderella's. You got to believe it's possible. And this just circular logic where this game doesn't matter because people have already decided these teams don't matter is bullshit. I hate it. It's ridiculous. If you have teams that have lost games against real teams and you think, well, Coastal Carolina, you can't do shit. You can't beat these top four teams. You got BYU, you can't do it. And I know yeah, UCF is the best one, but there's been a few other teams uh, in recent years that have had that run. Like, fine, put them as the number four. Let that top team get a buy game is what you're describing it as. If that's a buy, let it be a buy. That's a reward for that number one team. It's also a reward for that undefeated crap team that you, you think can't win and put them in the game then. That's fine. But... Every if, time if, we instead put them teams in six, like Coastal seven, Carolina and then blame were them for that not worried about it. Instead of scheduling Bama versus like USA, they would be telling Bama, like, you don't have to pay me money for this game. We will come to Bama so we can show you how good we are. But no, they will never schedule a game like that. Most that of these, is not teams what these teams have, do. Most of these teams have made the offer to bigger schools. It's not Bama, but they've made it to bigger schools. Mostly the bigger schools don't take the game. They don't want to have a really good non-Power 5 school come in and potentially beat them. It's not worth it to them. So stop blaming the schools. They can't get it on the schedule because the Power 5 usually dodge them. Yeah, well, I would just say that the biggest problem to me is actually that the playoff is only four uh, teams. And I think it puts – it kind of ruins the regular season because, like, Iowa State lost this year, and all anyone talked about was, well, now they can't make the playoff, and Oklahoma State lost, and all it was is now the Big 12 can't make the play. Like, that's all anyone thinks about because it's – I guess it's it it is it's important, but it's also kind of made like bowl games completely like irrelevant and useless. And I I wonder why they'd even play a bunch of them this year. I, I will say this: I want the playoff to go to eight teams, and I what I want it to be is all the Power Five winners are guaranteed a spot. One non-Power Five team is guaranteed a spot, and then two at-large bids. And I think if you did that, uh, and and even if you made it a conference-affiliated non-Power Five team, you'd get one of those teams in. They'd probably be your eight seed, like you talked about. Uh, you get a couple at-large bids, so you get two teams who said, you know, our conference was better than every other conference. It's not fair that we finish in second. Okay, SEC, you get a second team in. 
Uh, and, and then, you know, I, I think you feel a lot better about it at eight. But as it's currently constructed at four, I don't think you can take a chance on a team that you're not really sure is that good because their best win is, you know, Louisiana twice. So I guess this would be the one thing. I agree. I think it should be bigger. I should think eight's probably the right number. I think uh, the argument for something like 16 where they say it's too big, I, I, I think that's the same argument from going to two to four. And then it's the same argument from four to eight. I think if there is a real argument, it's probably at 16 just being too many. There would be too many teams that aren't really that good uh, being put in there. And I get that it works different on the Division two level, the uh, you know even the, the FCS. But uh, I, I still believe that eight's probably the right number and it can get it in the right amount. You can pencil in that best uh, non-Power 5 school as well. Uh, at the same time, though, pretending like the jump to four is what screwed them. At one point, there were teams that were breaking into the, the top five teams by the end of the year. And then it was, well, we can't just give away that second spot. There's a team deserving. It. They're not good enough to be the second best team. Now that we moved it to four, it just seems like we've slanted down all of those teams that are doing well in non-power five saying, well, I don't think you're quite good enough to be in the top eight right now. And so yeah. we've, we keep pushing them back and we change the criteria for those teams. I think no matter what happens, unless you say one of these teams will make it in the top eight, I think mm -hmm. if you do top eight and it's just off the, the rankings the way it is now, you will not see a non-Power 5 team, even if they're undefeated. They will all end that final week of the season in the 10th, 11th, 12th spot because that's just what we do. Yeah, but just to add one thing to that, why I do think four has kind of ruined is probably too strong, but has made it more of a focus on just the playoff is when it was only two, like a BCS Bowl was such a huge deal, right? Like Kansas going to a BCS Bowl was a gigantic deal, even though... I guess in theory, no, they wouldn't have been in the college football playoff based off, off their ranking and the, the late season loss, but, um, or maybe they were, I'm, I'm having a hard time remembering. They, they were the four or five. Yeah. I'm yeah. Not sure. But, but so like to me, when you, when you go to four, it just becomes like, did you make the playoffs or, or playoff or did you not? And, and to me, I also think opening it up to eight would help with recruiting parity right now. All the good players are going to the same, you know, the top schools, which, not totally uncommon, mostly in basketball, it's the same way. Although, you know, even in basketball with so many teams making it, it started to open up, you know. Now, granted, um, a lot of top prospects are going places because of familial ties, you know, like Kate Cunningham goes to Oklahoma State. Well, his brother happens to be um, on staff there. And and when I interviewed him a long time ago, he told me his brother was like his, his role model, his hero. So, yeah, maybe, okay, that makes sense. Same with like Michael Porter and, and same, you know, a few other cases. But I just would like to see – that's part of why I said I'd like to guarantee one non-Power 5 team in my day as commissioner with the 18 playoff just because I want to see it. I want to have some fun. And maybe maybe the number is actually 12. Maybe the number is 12 and you let teams 5 through 12 play, quote, you know, like a play-in game to get in. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's 10 and you let teams 6 through 10, uh, kind of like the NBA playoffs are going to do, uh, do that. I, I think, yeah, hey, if you're a top 10 team, you know, that's great. And if you're a fringe top 10 team, you don't deserve to be playing for the college football playoffs. So you're lucky if you make it. And if you don't, then sorry, you be one of the best 10 teams in the country. It's really not that hard to do. Um, I guess a 10th of the sport gets to do it every year. So th that would be my way of fixing it. At least I do think I actually kind of think 16 would be too many just because in any given year, the 16th team in the, or yeah, the 16th team in the country could be like a 25 point underdog to the number one ranked team in the country, but certainly you cut it down to 10. Uh, and then do those, you know, 10 through six plan games to get your, your eight for the playoffs. I, th I think that could get really interesting real fast. Yeah. I'd say even for 16, it's like, okay, that 16th team isn't very good. 
Is that not any different than most weeks of Alabama facing somebody <laughs> in the SEC? Like, you don't just want one more week of that? Yeah, it's like one more week of them having that one game for Alabama to prove it. And if you do win, that's a huge win. That becomes a huge game if you are able to knock off that number one team. So let's stop pretending like even 16 would ruin it. Now, I will give you that the, you know, uh, kind of appeal of the bowls has diminished. But I think a lot of that's on us. Like back at, I still think if KU was to make a, uh, you know, a, a, a you know, top bowl, it would still be a huge deal for them. I mean, especially mm-hmm. if it happened anytime soon. But uh, most of these teams, I, I think it's more about the national coverage, the way we talk about it. Obviously, we've kind of changed the criteria. Uh, and, and that's on us. We did that. And I, maybe within the teams, there it's there a little bit. But I think there's still a big deal for these teams that do get to play in like a Fiesta Bowl or get to do something like that. We're just not talking about that game anymore the way we used to because there's so much coverage built into that extra college football playoff uh, week. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it's tough for me, but I, I'd be fine with eight. I think that'd be good. All I'm saying is the only ones who really get screwed, even with four, I'm not worried about five, six, and seven being left off. I'm worried about a non-Power 5 school that no matter what the system has been, has never gotten the chance to get their ass kicked. Just let them go get their ass kicked. That's all I'm asking yeah. for. Uh, yeah. that, that's all I have. We were going to talk about maybe Iowa State and them uh, being able to, to finish off a, a Big 12 championship. I also wanted to talk about uh, the Jarrett Patterson in Buffalo getting 409 yards and eight touchdowns. This is going to be a whole segment. Now this is going to be me dropping a stat. That's fun. Uh, KU only has eight rushing touchdowns on the season. And uh, I believe... Yeah, that 409 yards is more than KU has had over the last five contests. So good job, Jarrett Patterson up in Buffalo. Just had to throw a little bit of shade at my favorite team that hurts my soul every week I watch every I watch every minute. This isn't just me uh, parachuting in to make fun of the KU uh, football team. Uh, I, I do it all the time. Next up, I do want to hit NBA. And who knows if we have a couple seconds, we'll talk about college hoops. Uh, but right now, I do want to talk about the Lakers uh, signing both LeBron James and Anthony Davis to extensions. LeBron's is, you know, two years, 85 million to 35. I guess it's still a big deal, but those look like normal LeBron contracts. Anthony Davis, five-year, 190 million max. Uh, That sets up the Lakers to have this together, particularly after they've already made the moves to kind of swap out pieces. And uh, I think maybe have made the team better than they were a season ago when uh, they, they won an NBA Finals. And I like how a season ago makes it sound like forever ago. Nope, just a couple of months ago they were in the bubble and they're already ready to get back at it uh, before Christmas. But looking at the Lakers' moves and looking at them able to get Anthony Davis uh, put in long-term, what do you think this means for the Lakers? And, you know, just broadly, what does it mean for the rest of the NBA? Yeah, I mean, it. it we all knew Anthony Davis was going to stay in Los Angeles, even though he technically opted out or whatever to make sure he could secure his signing. Um I think the Lakers just simply re-signing their talent and then adding in a couple really interesting names have probably made their roster better. Wes Matthews, Gasol. Um, I, I'm really intrigued just to see. LeBron's career is interesting because right now I think we can all acknowledge he's playing for legacy. Um, it, you know, yes, it'll be great for Lakers fans to have another championship, but uh, what's really at stake here is can he legitimately stake a claim to not being the best player of all time because the best is subjective. And I think a lot of people already may feel like if you built a basketball player in the lab, you'd build uh, a LeBron James who is probably a little bit better at free throws. He did have one year of shooting 40% from three. Um, so, you know, best is subjective. You could say this guy's the best. Shaq's the most dominant. Wilt's the most statistically whatever. Uh, but greatness is uh, it's something that has eluded a lot of people in part because Jordan won six titles. He won every time he got there. 
Um, LeBron has a really interesting chance to to go back, repeat with the ring this year. Um, I felt like he declined last year, but he finished in second in MVP voting. And quite frankly, I believe if the regular season had gone on as normal, Giannis was injured. He was going to be out for a few weeks and LeBron was absolutely charging down the stretch. I believe that would have been another MVP for LeBron. Oh, by the way, he should have had another one. It is one of the most insane things that has ever happened in the history of sports. <laughs> Looking back is Derek Rose winning that MVP over him. If you look at their numbers, I, I don't remember this exactly. So don't quote me on this. I'm, I'm literally basing this off of something I haven't thought of in like five years, but I'm pretty sure LeBron averaged like more points, rebounds, assists, steals and blocks and shot a better percent from the floor. But people didn't know how to view super teams. And they were like, well, he can't be that good because he has good teammates, which is somehow an argument for diminishing an amazing player's success. Uh, when it's who is the most valuable player to the league that has always been LeBron James. LeBron James could go to any team in the NBA and make them basically a contender. He did that with the Lakers last year until he, you know, obviously got injured and then they won this year. So I, I like what the Lakers are doing. I, I think the Lakers are um, probably for the next two, maybe three, maybe that's pushing it years, still a contender in this kind of window here. Um, to me, there are like maybe five teams that may, maybe actually that, that may be too many. There may be like four teams. Uh, that legitimately have a shot to actually do something here. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I The Bucs are, are one of those teams, I think. And then they get to the playoffs and they play, a, you know, a 25-man rotation despite having like two of the best players in the NBA. And, um, you know, they it's, it's just one of those things that it's so hard to win an NBA championship just because of the seven-game series nature. Um, all you can do is re-sign all your players. Uh, and try and, and make some prudent, you know, veteran additions in the offseason. The Lakers have done it. I see no reason to think they would take a huge step back unless LeBron finally hits a wall. Uh, and if he did, good thing he just signed an $85 million extension. All right, I'm trying to figure out which one of those points to jump on. We got LeBron declining. We got Derrick Rose's fraud MVP year. Yeah. We got, uh, I'm going to go with the the building a best player in a lab. Uh, I think I'd pick Giannis with Kevin Durant's skill set. Because okay. Kevin Durant and Giannis, physical build is pretty close, but Giannis has more of the muscles. If Hold you on. give Giannis the muscles with all of the shooting skills Kevin Durant has, I think I'm going Giannis. What, what about Steph Curry's skill set? Why not give him Steph Curry's skill set? Steph Curry's a better shooter than Kevin Durant. I feel like I need somebody who's already big, because sometimes... But Giannis you know, is big, man. No, but like, all right, so... Like, if you take somebody, it's a kind of like you saw it with, like, Anthony Davis being a guard, and then he grows. But it's like, he's still not playing the exact game he played when he was, like, six foot, right? Okay. I don't fair. know what happens if Stephen Curry has to figure out how to, like, if he's a robot controlling, like, Giannis is a robot. Steph Curry's in there controlling, telling him what to do. I don't know if we're putting his essence in him. I don't know if this is, like, that uh, six-man movie with one of the Wayne's brothers. My point is, it's really tough to imagine Steph Curry, and, like, he's got a weird arc. Like, all I know is Kevin Durant, Giannis, closer to the same. But if Giannis's power goes with Kevin Durant's shooting, I think that's a pretty unstoppable force. Yeah, yeah. By the way, just to circle back to that MVP thing, LeBron averaged 27, 8, and 7 that year. Derrick Rose averaged 25, 7, and 4. Like, Yeah, but what, what people forget at? is part of uh, being the MVP, you need to be good on both sides of the floor. So when you look at it that way, it's uh, LeBron – you know, hand over. Like, that's not even close. I don't even know why Hold we on. even have Derrick Rose in the conversation. Okay, okay. I thought you were going to say that LeBron wasn't a good defender. And I was going to be like, no, no. Well, I was trying to make a joke. Defender. Yeah, I was leading in with the joke being, you got to look at defense. Oh, wait, yeah. it's still LeBron no. by a lot. 
Yeah, so, Andy, dude yeah. shot 33% from three that year. He was like 55% on twos. He was extremely efficient. I, it truly was. People didn't, they were like, this is scary. He plays for the Heat now. I don't like, he has good teammates. I don't know what to do. I think about that a lot. I think about that so much because of legacy and Patrick Mahomes, actually, to make a football tie. Like, Patrick Mahomes needs to win the legacy, uh, to win the MVP this year because it's never a given how many he's going to win. And this, like, Russell Wilson has never got an MVP vote. It's cute. Like that stuff's really cute. Russell Wilson has never deserved an MVP vote. He's never been the MVP of the league and you only get one. So why would you vote for a player who doesn't deserve? Because Derek Carr got an MVP vote. Sure. I mean, it's just, it's, it's always dumb to me when, when someone is like, um, I wouldn't have voted for him, but he deserved, he deserved one. It's like, well, you wouldn't have voted for him. So, you know, was he the MVP? No. Okay. Then, you know, we can move along. I'm, I'm, I'm co- coupling together two facts. It's Russell Wilson hasn't gotten an MVP vote and Derek Carr has his own uh, def- uh, best defensive player during his championship run. Bobby Wagner got one. Like when you look at the rest of the votes in that time frame, it's not that, hey, Russell Wilson got screwed out of an MVP vote. It's that a lot of people made dumb decisions. That yeah. wasn't the actual MVP those years. And if you're going to be dumb about it, somebody should have thrown it Russell Wilson's yeah. way. And apparently it was Chris Collinsworth who forgot to vote and got kicked out. That's yeah, all well, we know at this point. Hey, I'll tell you this. That's fair. And people love being dumb and cute and whatever with their picks, especially Heisman voting. Um, you know, I, I totally get it, totally support it, whatever. But my, my bigger point here was like, narrative can be really dangerous. And narrative is yeah. why Derrick Rose won that MVP over LeBron James. There was no statistical argument whatsoever for it. And I could see that costing a guy like Patrick Mahomes an MVP down the line. I mean, it, it almost kind of did with Drew Brees and people saying Drew Brees finally deserves the MVP. And it's like, well, Patrick Mahomes is better than him in every way, shape and form right now. So why in the world would you give it to him other than, well, it's a lifetime achievement or whatever. I'll be interested to see if that does happen to Mahomes because people get fatigued. It's happened to all the great ones. And uh, it feels like it's already happening with Mahomes and he's three years into starting. That's what I was just about to bring up. I think fatigue was definitely the factor with LeBron. And I think on this podcast, I think maybe Bobby brought it up that there was already MVP fatigue for Patrick Mahomes. You're like, that's freaking nuts. You know, like at this point, it's like, it's it's like one MVP and also only a couple of years of being in the league, but he's already been the best quarterback for a couple of years in the league. So it is crazy. And I think, yeah, narrative, it's good to bring up. If somebody's going to throw away a vote, please throw it away to Russell Wilson. But everybody else be smart. And if you're going to pick somebody, pick it based on who's the best. And at this point, it's Patrick Mahomes uh, by a mile. Unless you just want to get fancy, you want to be a hipster about it, and it's Aaron Donald. That's the only other vote I will accept. But uh, right now, uh, I do want to finish up with the NBA. The other big news was uh, James Harden, John Wall, got the uh, a swap there between the Rockets and the Wizards. And this one is on paper. It doesn't seem like a real change. It seems like uh, a lot of the... What these players do is pretty much the same. Even when I think of age, I'm like, well, I guess you're getting a younger guy. Oh, John Wall is only like three years younger than Russell Westbrook. What the hell, guys? And more of uh, injury issues. So uh, looking at that move, obviously it's because of two reasons. One, uh, I know we've heard the the rumblings that Harden wanted Westbrook to be moved and like John Wall better as an option. On the other side, you want to get John Wall out of Washington because you want to give Bradley Beals the keys to the franchise which makes a lot of sense. But if you're just going to put another alpha who's just like John Wall next to him, I get he's newer to the city, but we watched him walk into Houston and say, 
I'm still the guy. Three and missed. Like, I don't know if you guys yeah. heard it. Normally you'd hear it brick, but Russell missed the rim completely on the three. So with those moves, does this is, is this a mutual benefit for both teams? Or is this two franchises that are running in place because they don't really have a lot of options on how to fix their situations with uh, point guards who have huge contracts that aren't necessarily bringing in their value to what they bring on the floor? I think this is probably a win for the Wizards. I think if Westbrook recovers fully from whatever injury he was dealing with at the end of last year, he actually showed over a pretty good stretch of the season that he could be a more efficient player. He stopped taking mid-range jumpers, and he and he went to the rim a lot more. It wasn't the whole season. His numbers weren't great, but I actually thought he played some of the best basketball of his career. To me, this is just such an indictment on James Harden. And I guess it's it's what makes him great and why things haven't worked out. And it's not his fault that his team missed 27 threes in a row in the playoffs one year. It's not his team's fault. They ran into maybe the best team ever in the Golden State Warriors. Not his team's fault. You know, the West has been stacked, whatever. But uh, it's more from the perspective of how many great players, how many really good players have to get traded to James Harden. And then it doesn't work out. And you're just sitting there like, dude, can you just work with anyone? Like, and and that's kind of where I see it at the end of the day. like. James Harden wants to be the guy. That's great. You know, he wanted guys who adapt into his system. I don't know how it ended with Chris Paul. I thought that team had a lot of promise. Oh, by the way, Chris Paul, who gets healthier, goes to Oklahoma City, has a great year, and they make the playoffs. And uh, again, it's just to me, like, if you have James Harden, you have to build around him. You have to keep him happy. You have to play whatever style of ball you think gives you the best chance because he's that good of a player. Uh, But at the same time, it's almost like what a shame that this is a guy who – couldn't figure out just how to mesh better with uh, with other people. And, you know, the Rockets play a fun brand of basketball at times, and other times I'd say they play a completely unwatchable brand of basketball. It can really depend on the game just because the amount of isolation, the amount of just, I mean, long threes that go up, which sometimes it's fun if they're hitting them, and other times it's just like, you know, you're, you're watching like a wreck scrimmage, basically. And you're just <laughs> like, none of these guys want to do anything except – you know, pop shots. And, and yet they had a, a ton of interesting guys. You know, they get the most out of guys. They made Ben McLemore look really good. They've made PJ Tucker look excellent. I think PJ Tucker uh, is a fantastic player, but you know, it, just to me, it, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm left here wondering, you know, we talked about legacy. What is James Harden's legacy going to be? You know, is it just going to be a guy who scored a lot of points uh, whose teams probably should have been better. Uh, and he just moved from teammate to teammate, to teammate, to teammate, to trade, to trade, to trade. I also don't know that one first round pick was enough for Houston to pick up. I, if they're going to trade Harden, I guess they're going to get a big haul back. But yeah, I, I don't necessarily think they nailed it in terms of asset management either. So I guess I like this more for Washington because I think Westbrook might have more to offer than Wall and, and you put him with BLC, what happens. But um, yeah, I, I don't, th- this is a weird trade to me. This, this feels like neither team really got that much out of it. I do want to ask for Harden how much uh, is the on the negative versus it's kind of growing like it's something about clicking with players because it's not the the final product it is a little bit not making it to the finals but it is having chris paul and not getting along enough that he needs to be traded to the thunder not getting along enough with westbrook that it's one year experiments with these guys and so i want to compare it with you know a guy like chris paul getting traded to the suns in my mind devin booker's ceiling you can either make a idea that he is uh gonna be like a Steph Curry type but obviously there's nobody else that's like Steph Curry or it could be James Harden that'd be ideally where you'd want him to get his skill set to be and so when you have Chris Paul next to him able to do similar to what he did 
with James Harden, where on the court, I think it worked. I think for the most part, he allowed Harden to be even better and allowed that Rockets team to be even better, even if it didn't you know, end up in getting them further in the playoffs. So when you put Chris Paul next to Devin Booker, will they be able to do something similar? And as Devin Booker keeps growing, can that mm-hmm. be a, a, a lineup that looks a lot like what the Rockets were doing without maybe James Harden, for lack of a better term, pre-Madonna attitude? You know, James Harden works hard, obviously, you have to, to be as good at basketball as he is. But Devin Booker, he, Devin Booker is interesting. Here's how I knew Devin Booker was going to be a lot better than I think people who weren't Suns fans kind of knew. And, and I haven't felt this way about anyone. I think most people would tell you um, who know me that I've been very critical of a lot of Suns draft picks and free agent signings and have thought they've totally missed the mark at times. But Devin Booker was kind of obvious to me because of his reputation around other players in the league. And that to me told them, told me that they know how hard he works. You know, he's a guy who's worked out with Kevin Durant at USA basketball camps and scores on him and, and plays one-on-one against him. And, and they go back and forth and it's just fascinating basketball to watch. Uh, to me, he's the type of worker who wants a guy like Chris Paul in that locker room um, to really push each other and go back and forth. He's a, uh, I use this term affectionately, a psycho. He's a psychopath. He wants <laughs> Everyone, he demands the most out of everyone, and you see it. I mean, he was an all-star last year, uh, and he basically powered a Suns team that had no business in, comp- in competing for a playoff spot to, you know, being just basically a game away, um, you know, at the end of the year. So uh, the Suns are interesting to me because I st- I'm not convinced they'll make the playoffs just because the West is ridiculous. Uh, but I, to me, it kind of comes down to DeAndre Ayton. Because Luka Doncic has been so good, people are like, wow, the Suns screwed up taking Ayton. And they did screw up. Like Doncic is obviously a better player than Aiden. Don't get me wrong, but like Aiden averaged like eighteen and eleven last year. Eighteen average. Aiden averaged sixteen and ten as a rookie. Aiden has a special skill set uh, with his athleticism, his mobility, his ability to score, his ability potentially to hit the glass and defend. He showed a ton of improvement defensively, uh, or shown some improvement. I think they're hoping he makes that next step and shows a ton of improvement. So if he can be the third guy. Yeah, that team suddenly becomes interesting and Chris Paul and Devin Booker and they start meshing. So I'm intrigued by them. I'm not convinced they make the playoffs just because like who knows about Golden State, who knows about Minnesota, who knows about Portland, who knows about New Orleans. But uh, wow, the West is really good and they they really need to open up the conferences and just let it go one through 16. So first, I'll just say I'll take the Suns over Minnesota. That's all I know confidently <laughs> right now. Fair. Uh, but you're right with Aiton, uh, really with also Trey Young at the top of that draft. Like the idea that it's like, well, you screwed up. You didn't get Doncic. Like, yeah, that's a mistake. But there are other teams in that area that didn't get anybody good. And yeah. so you'd rather you at least got a good player, whether you made the wrong decision. You know, that's going to haunt you for a long time as you keep watching mm-hmm. Doncic play the way he does, particularly, you know, this early into his career in the playoffs. Um, I, I think that's a, a really good team, and it will be interesting to see if Devin Booker can kind of uh, expand into that role and how much, you know, if you have a guy like Chris Paul, maybe do you get rid of some of the tendencies that James Harden kind of picked up in how he became great. And instead, you're kind of playing a different style. You're learning just a few different things that can get you just as productive, but maybe not get that ball stopper, which isn't entirely true with what happened in Harden and the Rockets, but it was true enough, particularly in playoff games, that it became a problem. And they had so few opportunities to win, despite the fact that the numbers say they should have been better than they even were. And they don't even have Daryl Morey, so uh, that's probably just going to completely fall apart in Houston. But that's for another day. Uh, that's mm-hmm. all the NBA talk that I, I have. I do want to get in real fast with KU uh, basketball, not football. Uh, we got the the start of the year. Obviously, uh, already COVID scares with the 
test popping up from uh, St. Joseph from the the, the, the first uh, games that they're at. Then we got, I, I was really scared with the Marcus Garrett thing. And I know now like we, we've gotten a couple days and they still haven't planning on playing tonight, but somebody needs to be careful with what they're saying. The symptoms are on national television. Cause as Holly Rowe is telling me he's having breathing issues and he, he like these intestinal issues and you're just sitting there seeing him just wiped out on the sideline. And you're just like, he can't be in the game then. Like, uh, and I, I know Bill self said that he took, that was it. The, is it the PCR test is the one that's mm-hmm. uh, more accurate. And it's still like, there are potentials for false positives, false negatives on tests like that. They're not a hundred percent. And if you have a guy who the symptoms match, unless you know what the illness is, that's not COVID. It's just scared me to think he's in that game and he'll end up being in this game tonight. When you're watching that and you're seeing the, the uncertainty with all these teams, uh, you know, is it more intriguing what you can see on the court or is it more intriguing to talk about, this season that they don't plan on having a bubble. They maybe plan on having the tournament in Indianapolis, but it's going to be hard for us to get through without having a lot of games canceled and basketball is different than football where you can't just kind of throw somebody in to a different unit. When uh, you get a little, uh, you know, a few players out like one player on a basketball team is positive. You're done for two weeks. There is very little chance you can get that basketball team back out there. What do you see from that this year? And what's kind of, you know, particularly when you're covering it uh, with KU basketball, what's kind of your thoughts on uh, this season as a whole? Well, it's weird. You know, I I was in Indy, one of, uh, I think, eight credentialed writers for the game. and, And it was weird. It was quiet. It was you could hear everything said in the court. We were up in the rafters. They keep us, you know, pretty far from the players. And you could like. There was one point where Bill Self got called for a technical foul. He yelled, are you kidding me at a ref? And obviously you could hear that. He's screaming at a ref. Uh, and then a Kentucky player turns to John Calipari on the bench and goes, hey, do you want us to run the same play again? Because now there are going to be free throws and whatever. And it's just like, yeah. you could hear that. Like, you can hear yeah. everything. And, and you know, Bill Self didn't want to use this as an excuse when I asked him about it. He kind of bristled at it. Uh, I asked him. Uh, if he thought the empty gym made it harder to shoot uh, for some guys. And he said, no, we shoot in empty gyms all the time. I, I just personally, it's a f- philosophical disagreement. Um, some guys struggle to shoot in domes. It's hard to shoot in an empty gym. I've shot now in Fieldhouse before when no one is in there. And it took five, six, seven shots. Now, obviously, I'm not a college basketball player, but to get my depth perception, just because it's yeah. so much space, especially when no one is in there, I do think that actually has an effect on things. And what Kansas and Kentucky shot like, 15 and 8% from three respectively or whatever it was. I, those aren't exact numbers, but it's close. Um, yeah, it's just a weird season. It, it's an unfortunate season for particularly Gonzaga and Baylor because those are the two best teams in college basketball they're going to play. Um, and I, I actually think by far, I, I think Baylor might actually be the best team in college basketball after watching them completely dismantle Illinois. Um, yeah, I, look, it's it's a uh, any games that, that get, get in that – are played are a bonus uh, because like you mentioned the uncertainty and yeah, I think looking back in hindsight, maybe not the smartest to, to play Marcus Garrett, even though um, I think self said he tested negative twice, but even then you never know, um, you know, and, and you don't want to be spreading illness to anyone in a pandemic, even if it's uh, completely unrelated to, to COVID-19. This is though the year of uncertainty and teams with continuity. Uh, they have an advantage in that regard. That's certainly Baylor. That's certainly um, Texas. That's certainly, uh, you know, Gonzaga to an extent. And so, um, yeah, I guess uh, we'll, we'll just have to see how it plays out. But weirdest season I've ever covered. I'm about five hours away from going to Allen Fieldhouse and uh, with 
maybe seven people or eight, nine, ten, up to, I think, media members covering this game and no fans and I'm guessing no band and I'm guessing uh, very limited personnel. And yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable and weird and strange and you'll just kind of have to continue to figure it out. Yeah, two points I would say on the empty gym thing. I would say like the NBA bubble was like proof that they can actually play better, but it's also not the same because you don't just have the opening. They had things put up on either side. You're kind of closed in. Yeah, so that changes. uh, Well, think think about high school gyms and how guys can shoot like 60% for three in high school, which in theory, it's the same distance. Uh, or it's, I guess, a little closer. And then they get to college and they can't make any threes. And young guys almost never do. And I'm, I'm not saying that's just because stadiums are bigger. Obviously, defenses are faster and everything. You know, there's so much more going on. But it, it's when you have that wall behind the basket. I mean, go to your local rec center. And if there are two baskets and one opens up into a court on the other side and one has a wall behind it, I promise you, if you take 100 shots, you're going to make more on the shot, the one with the wall behind it, just because depth perception. And you can focus yourself and see where you are whereas then go to a, a dome go to a football field that has a basketball court put right in the middle of it and look out and see just empty space and chairs and lights and everything and, and try and make that shot it'll be harder so yeah it, it's i'm not going to call it a mess because it's not a mess it's it's cool that they're playing as long as they're able to do it safely but um just weird mac I, I, that's the yeah. word it's 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 weird Hey, you don't have to tell me. I've I've been covering high school sports for all of this fall season, and holy God, the the, the difference is crazy. And uh, the best story I have, you're talking about here in Bill South. So at a state quarterfinals game, uh, this was like the week right before they were ready to change the number of attendance. So they were going back to the two tickets per parents where before they were starting to get pretty big crowds. And that's good, you mm-hmm. know be a contribution to uh, some of the the numbers we've seen lately. I won't, you know, say I'm not a scientist, but uh, didn't seem like they should have that many people at those games, but this one was the first one. So there were almost none. They were just the parents. It really was uh, very limited and you could hear everything. And at one point uh, they had the clocks going where it stopped for a first down right before halftime. And the coach who is like trying to talk with the rest to figure out, cause he's like, I called the timeout a second, 11 and the rest were like, no, it's nine. And he's like, well, one clock says 9.7 and one says nine. And the, the rest are just staring at each other. And he's like, I'll take that one, points to the one with more time on it. And the other fans are laughing while this happened. <laughs> you, everybody can hear every syllable this coach has stayed out there. He's basically turned it into a stand-up performance. Uh, so that would be the little micro positive in this situation is there's been those moments like that that I, I think have been fun. But otherwise, it is uh, very disorienting. Uh, the difference in just not having the fans there, having people where you are trying to stay apart. You see this with the the way the players are on the bench over to the side. Like even that moment, like I imagine like, uh, you know, Nick Krug, who does all the photos for uh, J World, him trying to take photos for where, you know, he gets these awesome bench shots. You can't even get those because you don't have five people next to each other jumping up, doing their fancy little uh, things. They are all spread out. Every little thing has changed this year. And so uh, it'll be interesting. You're right. It's all a bonus. Uh, and at this point, you know, you, you talked about those teams that were top. Uh, you know, KU had a tough time in that first one against Gonzaga. Had a, a little bit better performance against Kentucky on everything but shooting and letting David McCormick be on the floor. But uh, the rest of it, there's so many young players that are doing great. You've seen how good Jalen Wilson. I'm excited for this year. I'm as excited as I can be knowing that at any given time, a game could get canceled. So I, I, I am glad to have that. And 
you know, seeing it this year, I, I think some people have mentioned it where uh, KU had a chance of winning a national championship taken away from them last year. So whatever gets taken away this year isn't going to really hurt as bad. Uh, they've already had the pretty much worst thing happen uh, back in March. So uh, that's all I have for the NCAA stuff. Is there any other major things before we finish up this uh, podcast? No, I think we pretty much covered it. Yeah, we talk a lot. We're perfect. We we could fill in probably three hours just nonstop. So uh, this, is a, this is a good tandem we got going here. We're going to have to have this happen more often. Scott, thanks for coming on to the Too Many Points podcast or Too Many Points show on the Tell Me More podcast. Eventually, I'll learn the name to my own damn show. But that's all we have for this week. We'll be back next week. We're going to keep trying to have the, 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 the two podcasts, one with the NFL recap, one with the preview, and then all other sports, just like this one. We're just going to keep stuffing in as, as many points as we can. That's why I named the show this, that, and all of the degenerate gambling we, we have going on here. So that's all we have. Tune in next week. Uh, be sure to subscribe on YouTube and all those other places. I don't actually know how any of this works, but I'm glad that we have the viewers we have. Uh, thanks for being there, guys, and see you next week. <laughs>